Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. Are you a dragon boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon fiber dragon boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the dragon boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Thanks for downloading. Lori Ledley, a 27-year breast cancer survivor, joined us in the podcast studio to share her journey. Lori was initially diagnosed with Burkitt's lymphoma in the breast in 1992. She was 26 years old and 22 weeks pregnant with her third baby at the time of that diagnosis. 23 years later, Lori was also diagnosed with stage one invasive ductal carcinoma. She talks about dealing with a rare and aggressive form of cancer during pregnancy and then being diagnosed again with a different form of cancer. Take a listen in as Lori shares her story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Laurie Ledley. She is a 23-year survivor. She was initially diagnosed in 1992 at the age of 26 with Burkitt's lymphoma in the breast. And then 23 years later, she was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma in 2015 at the age of 49. So welcome to the studio. I'm so glad to have you live here with us. Thank you, Melissa. It's great to be here. Yeah. So um, let's talk about this initial diagnosis of the Burkitt's lymphoma in the breast. It's nothing that I've ever heard about. So I'm very curious to hear. Yes, it's extremely rare. So basically, I was 26 years old. I had a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and I was pregnant with our third child. And How far along were you? I was 22 weeks when I oh, found wow. the lump in my breast. So you're pregnant. Um, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, midway point, at right. least. So. so I had had a mass in my neck at about six, uh, probably 18 weeks. And they took that out, and it was just abscess lymph nodes. But then right after that, I got another mass in my breast, and they were like, hmm, that's a little below the neck. We need to send you to a general surgeon. So they took that lump out, and really, we just thought it was a fibrocystic thing from being pregnant. Nobody was concerned. And so it took about 10 days to get the pathology back, and there was a lot of questions, but it was Burkitt's lymphoma, 
in the breast. And they said a surgeon could go their whole lifetime and never see a Burkitt's lymphoma in a pregnant woman or even a breast. So it was really shocking. And here I was pregnant and needed treatment right away because it was a very aggressive cancer. So So I'm going to just ask real quick. So you were, I mean, at 26, there was... I'm sure no suggestion of doing mammography or anything like that. It was genuinely that you were doing a self-breast exam or that you just happened to touch that area. They found it on an ultrasound. Oh, they they wouldn't have done a mammogram while I was pregnant because okay. of the radiation. Oh, good. Yeah. So actually both my cancers were detected by ultrasound only. Oh, wow. Okay. So I had dense breasts and I never knew anything about dense breasts and you know, interestingly, I think it was around 2015 that now they have to actually educate a woman yes. with a letter that you have dense breasts we weren't able to see. So they couldn't see the lump that I felt the second time on the mammogram at all. In fact, the radiologist couldn't even feel it. I could only feel it with my arm raised. So the self-detection, you know, the ra- the reason they have us raise yes. our arms is so that we feel things because when my arm was down, I didn't feel it. My arm was up, I felt it. And even the physicians couldn't feel it because it was only two centimeters. So it was really small. So, you know, early detection was definitely my friend um, in this case and the first case. Yeah. So what did you do in terms of, you know, I mean, you're 22 weeks pregnant and it's a a rare aggressive form of cancer. So what did your treatment look like? I saw a lot of doctors in a week. (laughs) I'm sure. Um, It was really devastating. I had uh, several physicians recommend termination of my pregnancy. Oh, my god! I couldn't do that. Like, I'd already picked out his name. You know, Connor was going to – I knew he was a boy. Yeah. And it was really devastating. And we went to the University of Arizona, met the medical director of lymphoma, the national medical director, and he looked at my husband and said, I hope you have your affairs in order. Your wife maybe has six weeks to live. And as for that baby, we don't know what we're going to do. So it was just horrifying. I still remember every minute of that drive back from Tucson. So were you, I'm sorry, were you in the room when he said that? Oh, yeah. He wouldn't even look at me. I mean, it was really, I'd love to see him now. (laughs) I don't think he's probably alive. Um, But anyway, I, uh, the next day I had an oncology appointment um, at Desert Oncology with Dr. Jack Cavalcant, which is now Desert Oncology, or excuse me. Ironwood Cancer Centers, and Dr. Cavalcant's now retired, but, you know, he walked into the room, and he, like, had books, and then he'd leave the room, and, you know, this is back before really even much internet. Yeah. And, you know, he'd come back with more books, and he says to me, we've never treated a a pregnant woman in the second trimester, only the third, but if you're willing to accept the risk, I'm willing to treat you because you need chemo tomorrow. Like, he was, like, this is the most aggressive cancer that we see, you need treatment right away. So that was a Friday and we went to church that weekend and our pastor preached, you'll never have joy in your life without taking risks. Wow. I, you know, here, cause I was having, I had to make this decision. Yeah. Do I terminate my pregnancy or do I take chemo? I'm pregnant. And I really felt like after that message, I heard you need to leave the baby in there, have faith, you know, trust God, take the, treatment while you're pregnant. So that's what we did. And I took four treatments uh, while I was pregnant, uh, adriamycin, vincristine, and cytoxin. And interestingly enough, that total treatment, I had nine rounds of adriamycin. That's the red devil. They would never give you that much now, but they just didn't know. I mean, this was 1992 and that was the protocol then, but they would, I mean, if I got that same cancer today, I'd probably get four treatments and I'd be done. Um, but anyway, I did really well with the chemo. Zofran, which is the anti-nausea medicine, was only IV form. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so you're getting chemotherapy and IV. Yeah. For, so I had to ew. go in the hospital to get pre-meds. I, I had to get like four hours of anti-nausea pre-meds before they even started the chemo and they wanted to watch me closely. So uh, I had all those treatments while I was pregnant in the hospital. And then uh, they just watched him closely and did ultrasound and biofeedback testing to make sure he was growing. And then on January 6th, they did an amniocentesis. Um, I was 34 weeks pregnant. And if anybody's from Phoenix area, it was that year it rained and rained and rained. And the like that bridge right here at the Salt River like fell. Oh. Yeah, oh. it was. I don't know if anybody. <laughs> anyway, it was kind of a crazy day that he was born. But anyway, the. He, the doctor called me and said, well, his lungs are developed and you can have him tomorrow or we can wait three or we can do another treatment and have him in three weeks. And I said, well, tomorrow's my birthday. And he <laughs> said, well, I think you deserve a present because I wasn't sure how I felt about having him on my birthday. So Connor was born on January 7th, 1993 on my 27th birthday. Oh my gosh. And you know, he just turned 27 on Tuesday. <laughs> Yeah, so now he's 27. But anyway, he was born with a full head of black hair. I didn't have a hair on my body. Oh, wow. And it was the most joyous day uh, to have a 34-week gestation baby weigh six pounds. Yeah. Was wow. a miracle. Oh, my gosh. A miracle in itself. <laughs> and even all the doctors and the nurses were just, like, amazed oh, at I'm how sure well he looked. And so I got – I had a baby, a C-section, and chemo all on my 27th birthday. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So it was quite, so we went, you know, trudged forward and it was uh, a lot of work and a lot of effort. And, uh, you know, of course, all that chemo was really hard on my body and I was in and out of the hospital. But, you know, Dr. Cavalcant was really optimistic. Lori, if you make it five years, you're considered cured. So that was really exciting. And so I did make it the five years and was considered cured. And he didn't even have to go back to the oncologist at one point. They watched me really closely for a long time. But, um... You know, so I, I, um, I, f- I wonder from your perspective, you know, you had two different experiences. You had, you know, the, the doctor in Tucson, and then you had this doctor at um, Desert Oncology, which mm-hmm. is now Ironwood, um, who were, who approached that in two different ways. I mean, I, I feel like there has to be so much appreciation mm-hmm. for this guy who very honestly said, we don't know about this. We haven't really treated this. You know, it's rare, it's aggressive. There are risks that are involved, but I'm invested in you. And um, I have to know that Dr. Cavalcant believed that same statement that I heard. You'll never have joy in your life without taking risks. And, you know, for many, many years, Dr. Cavalcant would say to me, Lori, you have no idea how special you are to me. You're like my poster patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and I owe my son's life and my life to that man. And I'm forever grateful to him. And I wish I could run into him and hug him. And, <laughs> um, and when I got diagnosed, you know, with the breast cancer in 2015, I was so bummed that he was retired. But I got his, um, you know, successor, Sumit Mendonca. And she's amazing. And well, maybe he's listening to our podcast. I hope you are, Dr. Cavalcant. <laughs> That would be amazing. Uh, yeah. Cause <laughs> Make the, that connection. <laughs> you should have total joy in the fact that, you know, I'm still here and my son is thriving and yeah. is actually in youth ministry in Chicago oh and married. And yeah. it was really fun. Just this past week, I had all of my adult children. Kaylee's 32. Uh, Col- Colton will be 30 and Connor's 27. And we were celebrating Connor and I's birthday together early. And I said, 
you guys, you're turning 27, Connor. That's how old I was when I had you. And they were like shocked because (laughs) here I was on my third kid in cancer and two of my kids don't have kids yet. And one of them has only two and they just, you know, now they get it. Yeah. And they remember, not Connor, but Kaylee and Colton remember bits and pieces of going through that. But um, yeah, I never thought I'd see my daughter go to kindergarten. Now I'm a grandma. Yeah. Yeah. It's super fun. It gives Mm -hmm. me the chills. Like the, Mm -hmm. just all of that, um, you know, genuinely gives me the chills. And, you know, kind of before we started the podcast, we had talked about, um, you know, sometimes we hear, you know, you're five years out, you're 10 years out, you're 15 years out. And it, I don't want to say that it gives us a false sense of hope, Mm -hmm. but I guess kind of in a way it does because, you know, I'm sure that in your mind, you weren't necessarily thinking that this was going to happen again. And here, 23 years later, you know, it's 2015 and you are diagnosed again. Right. So in 2015, I was not feeling the greatest over the holidays in 2014. And so I was hyper vigilant about checking for lumps because, I mean, I was a lymphoma survivor and and I knew that lumps meant cancer. So I always did my breast exams, feel it on the first. And that's when I felt that lump with my arm up. Was and it December? That was in said? February. Oh, it was in February. So, okay. yeah. So over the holidays, Sorry. I wasn't feeling right. Okay. Um, I was also on hormone replacement therapy because I had had to have a hysterectomy. So right after my lymphoma, I started having a lot of female issues and they were all just kind of like, you know, we really need to just take, take everything out. Let's just do a total hysterectomy. And we talked, I talked to Dr. Cavalcant about hormone replacement therapy versus osteoporosis. And he really encouraged me at my age, cause I was like 30 to go on the hormone replacement because osteoporosis wasn't something that he could reverse and we could really watch for breast cancer. So I knew I was putting myself at risk by taking these hormones for the breast cancer. So I was really good about watching, watching, watching. Um, I got my, my mammograms, but I think my mammograms were false because I had dense breasts, but nobody ever told me I had dense breasts. And so, um, I was able to find that lump. And then I immediately just called my primary cat practice doctor and said, I need a mammogram and ultrasound. I'm not coming to you. I need to go straight to the, you know, diagnostic imaging center. And I knew what I needed, you know, and, um, did they question you at all or they were just kind of, they were a little bit, um, but I was just, here's another thing. Like you have to be your own advocate. Yes. I just said, I'm not going to waste time waiting for, because my primary care doctor at the time was a state, not a state, a part-time doctor, part-time mom. And I'm like, I'm not waiting for an appointment. Like I need this done and then I'll see her, you know? And so they did order. um, And the only reason I brought up the hormones is because I wasn't feeling right. And I was also feeling like I need to get off the hormones because I'm almost 50. And I, and I knew that like, I shouldn't take them past 50. But they really helped, you know, with a lot of things like sleep and energy and sex and all the stuff that, you know, they're supposedly good for. Yeah. But they help cancer grow. So I needed to get off them. But anyway, I uh, um, I had the ultrasound and, um, and the next day I had the biopsy. And, you know, they called me and said, in the same breath, you have invasive ductal breast cancer. You need to stop your hormones immediately. Ugh. I'm like, oh. So, Did you they know, tell you, did you... Do they have a stage or anything at that point? Not that, not at that point. You know, it's really interesting because my core biopsy was actually wrong. Um, They did say it was ER positive and PR positive and HER2 negative. And I had already started to play out the game plan, right? Like I found Mm -hmm. a lump. What am I going to do? And so 
I decided, okay, my breasts grow things are coming off. So I'd already said, I'm getting a double mastectomy. I'd already seen a couple of friends who had, you know, done the, you know, lumpectomy radiation or lumpectomy radiation chemo even, and it still reoccurred in the other breast. Right. And I just know that their regret was that they didn't do the double mastectomy in the beginning. And again, this was five years ago. I know that the the breast conservation plans are are out there and and this was just my own personal yeah. mission. Like I just knew my breast growth things are coming off. Now I also had a giant question mark. Why am I getting all these cancers? Um, I had an aunt on my dad's side who has breast cancer but didn't take her life. But my dad's sister had just died of pancreatic cancer mm. and she also had rheumatoid arthritis, which I have a history of. So I thought it was really strange that I had both of this going on. So um, I told the doctor, I really want a double mastectomy. She's like, well, you're you're only stage one. You know, we don't recommend that. You'll do fine with a lumpectomy and possible radiation. I also did not want radiation because I have bad lungs. I'm a respiratory therapist clinically, okay. and I knew what radiation so you know. <laughs> does. And yes. interestingly... When I got diagnosed with the breast cancer, every single person I saw was, how many treatments of radiation did you get when you had lymphoma? Well, I didn't get any radiation yeah, when didn't I had talk lymphoma. About that. I didn't get any because I only got chemo because I was pregnant. They couldn't give me radiation. And by the time I was done having the baby, there was no sight of lymphoma. There was no evidence of disease, so they didn't recommend any. Um, so they automatically assumed that I got breast cancer from the radiation from lymphoma which they know causes. So I was like, I don't want radiation and I have bad lungs and I just, I didn't want radiation. And I knew if I had a double mastectomy and it wasn't in my lymph nodes that I could buy myself out of radiation. Right. So I, so I convinced them that I could, that I could do the double mastectomy. And then when I went to the plastic surgeon, he was like, I think you're a candidate for immediate reconstruction. And since the cancer is four centimeters away from your nipple, you can do a nipple skin sparing Mm. Breast, yeah, or skin, nipple skin sparing conservations and immediate reconstruction. Right. But we're not sure. So when I went in and I went to sleep, I didn't know if I would wake up, you know, with sternum in a rib cage or what. And oh, wow. I woke up, another miracle. He was able to fully reconstruct my breasts. I got to keep my nipples and I looked down and I, I so I never experienced the, the loss of a breast, like right. like every mm-hmm. like all of you guys do, um, which I'm so grateful for. But I also wish I could offer compassion to women who do go through that. Um, but it was a real joy to not have to experience that. And I really I didn't know if I was going to have to do chemo because they they were talking about oncotyping and right. they knew I had this K number that was high, so they knew it was aggressive. I don't do anything like non-aggressive. Everything's aggressive in yeah. my life. Um, so go big or go home. Yeah, right? go big or go home. <laughs> so I, um, uh, just about a week later, I went back to the physician, um, and they said, "Well, we're getting a questionable uh, result on your her too." Oh. I said, "Well, what do you mean questionable?" And they're like, "Well, we have a positive and a negative." And I said, "Well, okay. Well, what if one's wrong?" And she goes, "Well, which one do you want to believe?" I said, okay, point taken. So if you're HER2 positive, you're immediately getting right. chemo. Yeah. So I, four weeks after my surgery of my double mastectomy, I was back in the chemo chair. Now the problem was, is I was no chemo virgin. Oh. 
That's literally what the oncologist <laughs> said to me. I wasn't not I was not happy with that comment. And I was seeing two. I was getting opinions again. I w- I, I really encourage everyone to get more than one opinion on everything. Yes, I mean, absolutely. The second time I got diagnosed, um, I saw seven physicians in five days. Wow. Yeah, because wow. I was. I need a plan. I need to know what to do, and and I also really wanted genetic testing yeah, because I was, I was questioning. Ask, yeah, because of the history there. Right? Did you so, have that? Yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll explain that in a second. So I cut. So I get the double mastectomy. Start chemo right away. And then on my second chemo, I ended up in the hospital because I was no chemo virgin. Um, and she walks in the door and she said, thank God you did that double mastectomy because you have um, ATM gene mutation, which is really rare. And you'd be going back to surgery if you wouldn't have done it because they, oh they would have recommended automatically right. having a gene mutation that I do. Um, and you know what's interesting is when I did the genetic testing, they told me, well, you're not really a candidate. You're, you don't have a strong enough history. Your insurance is going to pay for it. But I said, I'll, how much is it? I, I need to pay. I want to get it done. Absolutely. And so they found like a, a, a less expensive way for me to get the testing done, the full panel. And I paid cash and there it was. Wow. So what is the ATM? ATM like, is, uh, I, mean, I tell I everybody, like a it's a really, again, a rare gene mutation. So ATM is, it, I'm not going to probably say it right. I want to butcher the name, but anataxia telentasia it's a if you have two of the genes together the child will have severe neuromuscular disease and multiple cancers and wow. probably won't live to be an adult oh my god so gosh. i have one of those and so that's what caused the you know a, i said atm it doesn't pass out money it passes out cancer <laughs> yeah right how it's interesting though that it has huh. nothing to do with my lymphoma um they think the lymphoma was related to the rheumatoid arthritis, because when you have rheumatoid arthritis, you have more of a risk of developing lymphomas. Um, and then the breast cancer, I think I had the gene and then I probably just fed it with the hormones. Right, right. You know? So um, were either of your parents alive and able to get tested so, for that? Um, my mom at the time and my dad were both alive, but they were divorced and neither one of them wanted to get tested. Of course, you know, that generation is like, nobody wants to, they think it's their fault. Oh my gosh. So I really don't know, but my okay. grandfather had just, so, so my dad's sister had died of pancreatic. So they were strongly suspicious of it being on their side. Right. My grandfather had died of lung cancer, but he smoked. And then, you know, Janie, my aunt died of pancreatic. And then my, uh, my dad since has died of lung cancer. Oh, so, wow. Okay. But again, the lung isn't connected, but yet you have to wonder right. if you smoked, because my dad also smoked, um, if that doesn't connect somehow because you have a, a, a mutation. I don't know. We don't know. Yeah, but my, well, mom, my mom has two sisters. Both her sisters have, between them have, well, between my mom, there's like nine girls, oh, and wow. I'm the only one so far, and I'm the second oldest. So I'm the only one so far that's had any female-related cancers. Huh. And ATM is um, pancreatic and breast Okay, as the two higher ones. And yeah. So it uh, would make sense that it came from dad's side. Yeah, if yeah we really don't know. And yeah. all of my siblings were negative, but my okay. two of my sons, uh, well, I only have two sons, but both my sons are positive. Okay. Uh, my daughter didn't get tested. She lives in Australia, so it's kind of, and she's like, mom, I'm, my mother has breast cancer. That's the highest risk you could have. So she just didn't want it to go yeah, through. Yeah. You know, and there's so much uh, lack of education, I think, on prophylactic 
preventative medicine. You know, it's just not there yet. We're not there yet. Um, So what does that mean? um, You know, that, so for the, the two boys, does that mean that they have screenings now or I so mean, the genetic counselor doing? just, you know, told them to be aware because they're both pretty young and um, just awareness and that, you know, they need to have their whoever they do life with. And if they have children together to both be tested, because if for by chance one of them had a, another gene mutation, then that would cause problems for their, you know. Oh, wow. Unborn child. So, yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, it's just education, but they're, you know, they're 30 and 27. I'm like, live your life. Like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 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 And Connor, my youngest, the one that I had cancer with, um, they're uh, doing fostering in Chicago. Aww. Yeah. So they're looking into that. That's they don't exciting. know if they want to actually have their own kids. And yeah. I'm not sure if that made a decision on their part, you know, was, was part of their decision. Right. And I don't care. You know, it's yeah. up to them. And, yeah. and, uh, so it's, uh, it's a, from my perspective, um, I feel like it's a hard thing. Like when mm-hmm. you know that you have a genetic mutation and you know there's a 50-50 chance of sending that on to potentially a child. Yeah. It was very, it was the very first conversation I had with my husband that, you know, I have this genetic mutation. It puts my child at risk for breast cancer, ovarian cancer, prostate cancer, like whatever whatever sex they might be, they're right. at risk for cancer if I pass on this genetic mutation mm-hmm. and I won't do that. Yeah. Um, you know, I said, I remember looking at my mom in the, um, I don't know, the patient room before they wheeled me out into surgery and I didn't even get my genetic mutation from my mom. <laughs> so I don't, you know, she felt guilty, but I'm like, I don't even know why. I know. It's not from you. But she, you know, I looked down at her and she just had tears in her eyes. Like she was just crying so hard. And I thought, I I don't ever want to have that feeling. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't ever want to sit on the opposite side of that and be that person Mm -hmm. and have to say, I knew that this was a possibility. So it's very hard. And not that I, you know, would ever say to somebody you're wrong for having a child, knowing that you have a genetic mutation. It is all very personal. And, you know, you just have to know the risks. And, you know, I love that you're just so accepting of your kids, whether they decide to have children or not have children, Um, you know, but it's up to them. It's their life. And I'm just happy to be here each day I get. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. So, um, I mean, we've talked about so many different things and, um, you know, you're you're now Oh gosh, what is that? 2015, almost five years. Almost five years. March, out. March six will be five years for my years. double mastectomy. Okay. And of course, I had to do chemo and didn't finish that till because I had to do Herceptin for a right. whole year. So I went on all the way into 2016. But I kind of count that mastectomy day as the day it came out of me. Yeah. I yeah. like to celebrate my cancerversary on that day. So I'm celebrating five-year cancerversary in March. Very yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody kind of has their own date. I take my diagnosis, which happened to be March 15th. Yeah. Um, you know what would be fun to talk about sometimes is the breast cancer index, because I just had that done. Have you heard of that? I have not. So there's a new test. It's only five years old, and it's called the breast cancer index. Okay. And it can tell you what your risk is for reoccurrence oh, wow. after five before from one to five years but it's nothing five to ten years no no Mm. no it's a new test so we'll have to talk about that yeah I would love to hear about that yeah there are a number of different things that are out there I did Mm -hmm. a so I was working with a nutritionist chiropractor 
applied kinesiologist, Uh whatever she was called. I don't know. But she had me do a urine test and it assessed the proteins in my urine, the estrogen proteins in my urine and showed what my risk of cancer was. And I thought, why don't we offer this to everybody? Right. Um, I would have to look to find out what that specific test was, but I do remember that it had indicated very clearly that the estrogen proteins that I had put me at a very high risk for developing breast cancer. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So the BCI um, is supposed to help determine whether or not you continue the hormone uh, blockers. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. those have side effects, right? So, oh, absolutely. So, I will be honest and tell you that I stopped mine. Did you really? What? Did. When did you stop yours? Um, well, I stopped the tamoxifen after five years. Uh-huh. I'm pretty... I am convinced that my endometriosis was a result of the tamoxifen, mm, although yeah. there's not enough research to prove it. But I had never had any of those symptoms prior to yeah. taking that. And then um, I had the full hysterectomy, ophorectomy, and they had rec- recommended an aromatase inhibitor and I still have the script. I never filled it. Yeah. Um, because and I, how many years out? Uh, that was six years ago now. Oh, wow. Well, well maybe doing that years. index would be a good, cause yeah, they're saying that, you know, they don't want women to take it because it causes osteoporosis, which well, yeah, that's you know, is a thing. big problem. So right. you keep, if you stay on it for 10 years and you didn't really need it past exactly. five. Yeah. That's, uh, mm-hmm. I'll have to inquire about that, yeah. but that's great information. Yeah. So I'll send you the link. Yeah. Perfect. Well, um, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I feel like we could sit here and talk for forever about so many different things. And, uh, one of the things that I know we would love to do, um, some other time is talk about the yoga nidra and, you know, just how that helped you get through your experience. And maybe we can share a little bit with our listeners about, you know, what that looks like and, you know, who knows what we can do with that. Yeah. So both cancers have evolved in different ways. My life has changed dramatically through experiences of having cancer. And, and, uh, I've, I've been dealing with this more than half my life. Yes. So, uh, I'd love to be back on and talk about other things and, and looking for how cancer has opportunity for each and every one of our lives. And I truly believe that I'm still here to inspire others. So however I can help do that for you, it'd be wonderful and fabulous and got to keep trudging forward and absolutely <laughs> spend each day to the fullest so thank you so much Melissa. yeah of course and just so you know every time I think about you <laughs> um, or I see Facebook or whatever you are definitely inspiring oh so, thank you um, and not I know it's not just me but many others too thank so. you appreciate it thank you for listening to this episode of behind the pink ribbon don't forget to rate review and subscribe If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.